Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom and OneMonth.com. I'm Simone de Rochefort. I'm a video producer at Polygon.com, and I'm joined today by Brianna Wu, Democratic candidate for Congress, and Christina Warren, Jet Setter, sponsored by Microsoft. <laughs> So Christina's uh, phoning in from, well, not phoning in, you're Skyping in as usual, but from Tel Aviv this week. And next week you're going to be in Milan because you're nuts. Correct. Except you're not going to be here next week. No, I'm not because I I would like, okay, so just uh, so uh, listeners know how much I love you. It is uh, 1.23 a.m. as I record this and we are recording three hours early. So um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot. because I'm seven hours ahead of, of Simone and Brianna and 10 hours ahead of when I normally am. Um, but I cannot record next week because when Rocket will happen will be the night before I give three talks. So oh God. Oh God. there's not, it's not one of those things where like, I don't have anything to do tomorrow so I can record. Whereas next week I would be um, messed yeah, up. Any, it, it can't happen. Exactly. But let's so. be honest, you're not going to, you're not going to miss a week where there's another fire festival documentary to cover. No, I mean, like, I would find, I mean, a look where you're going to be here. So exactly. I mean, look, my, my, my actual like paying job, notwithstanding, Right. Even then I would probably try to find a way to call it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we appreciate you so much. Yeah. So let, let's get this out so that Christina can go to bed and Christina, just know you are responsible for your own bedtime now. Yeah. Every, every time you talk and decide to tell us something really interesting, just think to yourself, I, I could be sleeping, sleeping right now. Ooh, oh, my good call. oh, my God. All right. We have a cool show today. Uh, Brie got the iPad Pro. We're going to talk about that. We're also returning to the foldable phone future because the news <laughs> just keeps on coming, this time from Xiaomi. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Nest a company that has been suffering and continues to suffer. And finally, we'll close it out by talking about, again, the Fire Festival documentaries, because now I am not the only one who has watched both of them. You know that Christina Warren has seen at least both of them. Brie, I don't know if you have too. Oh, I watched them both twice. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, it's going to get yeah. juicy. So stay, stay oh, yeah. in for that. Yep. But first, Brie, tell us about the iPad Pro. So, you know, I, I decided to break down and get it. Uh, you know, the iPad I've been using, uh, it's the, the first gen iPad Pro, the one that's the size of a satellite tile. <laughs> you oh, just, just strap it onto your back and carry it around with you everywhere. And, you know, like the, uh, the original cellular iPad mini too. I, the one, the very first version came out that was retina. I loved that thing. It lived in my purse permanently. I used it all the time. And then, you know, like Apple kind of stopped updating that model. And an iPad isn't something you buy every single year. Uh, So I decided to go ahead and bite the bullet and get the iPad Pro 11-inch. And Christina... Why didn't you emphatically tell me that I would love it? Like reach into I the did. future and know it. This I is, did. Oh my god! I, I did, and I told Frank to buy you one for Christmas. So he roll should tape. Have. He should have. He should have. <laughs> no, this thing is awesome. I absolutely. I got the cellular model. And, you know, it is, it is the perfect freaking size. It fits yeah, in it really your purse is. all the time. It is so, I, I just absolutely love this thing. Email, notes. And I'm not going to, like the, the new smart case, it's like a pro and it a sucks. con. Do you think so? I think I don't, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. Like, yeah. I don't have the keyboard, yeah. but, um, but, but the case itself. I don't love. I mean, I want it because I want protection, but I don't yeah. love how the magnets attach. And I don't. I liked the the, the previous um, case with it like clipped in and had the fold over cover way better. Yeah, I've had those for years. I don't. I don't really love it, I, especially for the amount of money that it costs. If I'm being totally candid, I don't no, love it. That's fair. I mean, uh, so I do have the keyboard version of it, and just in case listeners don't have it, it attaches on the back with this kind of weak smart magnet, and the keyboard connector pops off this version quite a bit, and there are only two places you can put it in. So if <laughs> it's in, it's either like straight up. Oh, Less sorry, than a sorry, human. Sorry, Am I right, sorry, kids? Yes, no, I, sorry. I, yes, sorry. Keeping no. it weird, Simone. Yeah, yeah. Keep it classy. On. I should have thought about that. Um, 
you know, it'll go either like pretty much straight up or at a very mild angle. Aye, Neither aye, is aye, great yeah. if it's in your lap. But, you know, I maybe this is just me. I've picked up my first gen iPad Pro and like the keyboard flap thing has fallen apart. It's like 17 folds in there. <laughs> and then like you're trying to origami it back to just get it in your bag again. Um, so I like this one because it's simpler and it's more stable. But you know, it's definitely less flexible than the old one, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those areas where uh, we've discussed this before, but actually I think that the keyboard on the Surface Go is so much better. Um, yep. I think as a tablet, everything about the iPad Pro is better as a tablet, but like the Surface Go's keyboard, like it's not even a contest. It's like, that's that's how you do a keyboard, I think, for these um, size devices. Yeah. Are you... Well, anyway. Yeah. Sorry. I wanted ahead. to ask, like, because you are bopping around Boston a lot, doing a lot of public things. Are you able to like use it to, I guess, draw on the go and kind of amuse yourself in that way? Or are you using it mostly for work? Well, a little bit of both. Uh, one of the things is when I have meetings with people, um, it's kind of a politician pro trick. If you take notes while you're meeting with people, it makes them feel even more listened to. And mm-hmm. I, I legitimately mean that, especially if you're talking about policy. Like I sit there and scribble notes the whole time. So this way, uh, that's what I've been doing is I like, you know, write notes as I'm going. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you I don't draw like I, I was drawing Sailor Jupiter the other day on it. <laughs> the vector, the vector tools are excellent uh, on it. But um, just overall, it is it's small enough to the size of like it's it's relatively the same size as a moleskin notebook, so you can like take real notes in it, but you can also draw with it. And then you know, you fold out the keyboard is certainly an easier way to reply to emails and things like that. So I don't know. I just think with cellular built into it, it is like, it's just a fantastic thing to throw in a purse and I absolutely love it. All right. Um, yeah. I wanted to, I wanted your opinion on um, what do you think of the, the new uh, Apple pencil versus the old one? Cause I I've had both, but you use them way more than me. So I really yeah. wanted your take. Well, okay. I mean, it's, the sensitivity of it, I can't really tell a difference with it. Um, the magnets holding it on it, it's kind of good, but it's kind of not at the same time because it'll fly off if it's like, do you know what I mean? It's like one yeah. bump in a bag from flying oh. out. I dropped it at the doctor's office yesterday, which is awkward and you're, you know, like I could have lost a $200 pen at that time. <sighs> uh, so the sensitivity of it is, I mean, it's a great drawing tool. I also, I'm not a mega fan of the uh, double tap on the side. It just doesn't feel uh, particularly sensitive to me. Um, you know, Wacom tablets, they have dedicated buttons there for a reason because it's just a better way to work. Uh, and because none of the iPad uh, Pro apps have like keyboard support or anything, it takes a lot longer because if you're doing Illustrator, you know, it's like A, V, like you, you know, the keyboard shortcuts, they're burned into your brain. Here, you're trying to tap on the screen and the, the tapping on the side, it just doesn't work well. So, I mean, it's fine. It's usable, um, but it's definitely not as good as like a, you know, a Cintiq and a dedicated tablet. Mm-hmm. Has your idea of who the like ideal user uh, is for this device changed now that you've had one and used it? Yeah, I think it's people like me, like people that want like, I mean... I liked, we've talked about the uh, Surface Go a lot on the show because it's a great size, right? The 11 inch is a little bit bigger than that, but it's got cellular built into it. And I mean, email is great. Surfing is great. YouTube is great. Drawing is great. Note taking is great. I mean, it's a, it's a little bitty tiny work machine you carry around with you. And, you know, for somebody that does what I do, I just think it's perfect. Noise. All right. Well, let us move on. Thank you for that update. Well, I think it, it, leads, it goes to our, our next topic, which is foldable phones. Because the only reason to carry like an iPad Pro is to have a bigger screen in your pocket. Mm-hmm. So I think it leaks really well to the next topic. It does indeed. So Xiaomi has shown us their first prototype for a foldable phone. We've seen Samsung's idea. I know Huawei is also working on one. So this is a phone that they showed in a very low-res video that's about the size of a tablet, uh, watching videos on it, etc. And then you can turn it landscape, fold both halves backward to kind of close almost like um, 
how how would you describe that? Like, oh, I'm I'm picturing like an advent calendar, basically the, the <laughs> two thirds of it fold back, and then you have a phone size screen remaining flat in your hand, and you turn it over, and you see kind of the crack in the middle, and then two halves of the phone. Um, they showed a video continuously playing with a, a bit of a blip as it was turned and then folded over. Um, and then when the man was navigating through um, through apps on the screen, it kind of showed the colors of the background on the back of the phone, which was folded over. Um, again, interesting. I think my number one question, again, why are we doing this? <laughs> I mean, what do you think of it, Christina? I mean, I think it's kind of cool. I don't know. I mean, I think the reason why we're doing this is because if this technology ultimately could work, it could really represent like the next kind of massive advancement. You know what I mean? Like this could be one of the next gen. Everybody's trying to find whatever that's, the next that's big how I feel. Is thing like at tech is. Lenovo, Huawei, Samsung, they all decided, okay, may, what if this is the next thing? What if this is the next like... 4k video i don't know what if this is the next totally. incredible what is this what if this is the next camera that's on my smartphone and i'm like it, it, it technologically it is very cool how it it is functional and then use case wise i'm like huh. Huh. yeah i mean I, I you're you're not wrong um but i feel like if the tech could could be there. Like, I don't think any of the, the prototypes or things we've seen like are the right type of products, but if the tech could be there, there is something compelling about the concept of, you know, I have my phone and then all of a sudden I fold it out and I have a tablet. Like that's, that's kind of a cool idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, did you, did you guys see Lauren Good's piece today in the verge talking about this where, uh, you know, smartphones are kind of getting boring so they're about to get weird instead. Did you guys see this? I did not see that, but that headline, <laughs> you just saying that makes me <laughs> interested. <laughs> wow, so interested that I'm choking on a piece of dust in, in my throat. I love it. No, uh, this is a really good piece, and it was it was so good it made me subscribe to Wired, which was like $10 a year. I'm like, okay, this piece is worth $10 a year. Um, so the, the basic premise of it is like smartphones are, the sales are declining all over the world, right? Like we kind of crack China as a market. Uh, they're, they're all kind of really good at this point, right? Like the cameras are pretty good. The battery life is pretty good. The screen is pretty responsive. We're really at a point of diminishing returns. So Lauren Good starts talking about how they've they're kind of coming out with quirks, right? Like uh, instead of a notch, like a camera that shoots up out of the phone, like a spring little thing. little periscope camera. Right. Or even the Motorola Razor, Razor reboot we were talking about uh, last <laughs> yep. week's show. That's weird. And certainly this foldable uh, phone screen is there. And something she said I thought was really, really apt was just because we now have the technology for folding phones that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a use case for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for me, it's like, uh, it is kind of weird if you think about it, them carrying around one iPhone 10, uh, in my pocket, you know, cellular radio, pretty big screen, and then an iPad pro, which, you know, the most important feature there is the much bigger screen on it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think it's a really good point that just because, you have this really cool technology where it'll fold on the sides that may not be a better experience for anyone. Bree, I would like to pivot my entire opinion. <laughs> I okay. am excited because okay. I'm not going to buy a weird phone because I'm not Christina Warren. However, <laughs> I want to see the weird phones. <laughs> I want to see all the weird stuff that people are going to come up with and make phones do that'll be totally useless and superficial, but also like nonsense sci-fi badonkadonk future. I'm really excited now. <laughs> see, that's kind of where I am, if I'm being honest. Like, I don't know how useful any of this stuff is going to be, but I'm kind of really here for everybody trying to figure it out and like making it good. You know what I mean? Oh, like, I do. Because okay, if we're being real... We had touchscreens on phones before capacitive touch 
was a technology that could be usable. Um, and, and they were terrible and you had styluses, but people would try to use your fingers and like they were, it was God awful, but people had it. And then, you know, um, the iPhone, uh, was not the first with a capacitive touchscreen. People will be like, Oh, the, the LG Prada had it. Okay, fine, whatever. Nobody used that phone. Nobody bought that phone. That phone was terrible, but it did. But like, but the, one of the big things that made the iPhone the iPhone was capacitive touch and the idea that you could use, you know, multi fingers to do things and and gestures and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, you have this technology that's been around for a long time, but now it works and it's awesome and it changes everything. So I don't know. Maybe like the foldable phones are terrible now, but that technology will somehow morph itself into something that's really awesome in the future. I don't know. I think that this is an opportunity to find joy in technology again, a joy of discovery and kind of a childlike wonder in nonsense. I I love it. Yeah, I agree. And it's like, what is Apple's solution right now to how to really like differentiate yourself with the technology you have, right? Like, iPhones are pretty much the same. Like you can have a kind of weird case on it, but it's pretty much the same. What's their really big idea? Well, you can get the modern buckle Apple Watch strap, or you can get the Milanese loop, or you can get the sports strap, right? Like you can get the Nike version of the watch, or you can just get the normal version. Like that's not funky. So I kind of... I love like the fashion possibilities if we're going into a weird phone future Ooh, where I can yeah. pretend like it's 2002 and I'm rolling down the street with my Motorola Razor. Like I'm into that. That's yeah. awesome. This is what I'm saying. I want to color coordinate um, all of my weirdness. And also I like, I want more than foldable phones. I want like, I want like weird VR stuff too. I want things that plug into stuff. I want like, remember, um, you know, like there was this concept for a while and it never took off for good reason where like, you know, you could like, turn your phone into like a full computer by like, you know, plugging stuff into it and like turn it, plug it into monitor. And all of a sudden it would be like a, you know, a regular computer. Like I still think in, in, in practice, that's probably a terrible idea, but what if we had that like with a wireless possibility or something? I don't know. I love like, it. you know what I mean? Where you could just like connect things wirelessly and then all of a sudden, Oh, my monitor is wirelessly connected to my phone, but I have a full desktop and I'm just surfing around. <laughs> and it's a terrible experience. And I really should just have like a laptop, but who cares? My phone is wirelessly connected to this super expensive display and everything is awesome. I love it. I think we need to talk about maybe the unforeseen consequences of this, which is that Christina's going to be broke if phones get weird. <laughs> like, Ooh, how are you yeah. going to, how are you going to resist? every like super weird thing that comes out. So, okay, that's a very good question. So if it is, if we are going back to like the early 2000s, what I used to do is I used to buy phones off of eBay and then flip them on eBay. So I could just do that again. Oh, okay. Okay, thank you. You've assuaged my, my concerns. The, the, see, I see it as a numbers game. Like, okay, if you in 1995 went out and bought a Porsche 911 it would have cost like what fifty, sixty thousand dollars in nineteen ninety money. You could take that today and flip it for like three hundred thousand dollars. So eventually, Christina's going to have like a brand new version of something that's going to be so valuable, and she's going to be like living in ten mansions. Like she's just going to sell it all. It's going to be amazing. I love the future. <laughs> this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Pingdom. Whilst you've, sorry, whilst, whilst you've been listening to this podcast, how would you know if your website had gone down? Would you know if customers couldn't click that buy now button or access your content? You might stumble across the problem by luck, but that's no good. You need a system. You need something to tell you that everything is running smoothly on your site. And more importantly, when it's not, you need Pingdom. Pingdom will let you know the moment your site goes down in whatever way is best for you. They're smart, too. They'll get the information needed to solve the issue. (laughs) I really lost it with that one. Listen, the point is that the information to solve the issue is going to get sent to whoever needs it. Whether that's you or, like, your professional fix-it person or, like, your mom. She fixes everything for you. Set her up on your pingdom alerts. Let her help you out. She's really trying to be a part of your life. 
whether that's one person <laughs> or your whole team, as I said. They are dedicated, they in this context being Pingdom and not your whole team, including your mom, to make the web faster and to making the web faster and more reliable. They use more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every minute. Now, there, that was a check. Surprise. <laughs> All Pingdom needs is your URL and they take care of the rest. Don't risk being the last to know about something on your site breaking. Start monitoring your site today. Go to pingdom.com slash relay FM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And then when you sign up, use the code Rockets at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. That is again Pingdom P-I-N-G-D-O-M dot com slash relay FM for the free <laughs> trial and then offer code Rocket to get 30% off. Thank you, Pingdom, for your support of this show and Relay FM. I have to say this. Okay, Simone, you've never <laughs> been to Disney, right? No, I've never been to Disney. Okay, Christina, you've been to Disney, right? Many times. Hollywood Studios, right? Yep. Do you know the movie Magic Ride? <laughs> do you know yes, the I little, do. It's... I know. Do you know the little storyline they try to tell with the monster? You've got some teenager there that's hoping to be on the Disney Channel one day, and they do the whole skit for you. Like, ah, I'm Mugsy, <laughs> you see? Like, that was Simone. <laughs> that's <laughs> that me. totally you. Oh, my God. Simone, that is you. Oh, my God. Simone, we have to take you to Disney so that movie you can audition to be a Musketeer. Magic. Disneyland. Am they I a monster? That they canceled that ride. So what? you missed your chance. No, they did. It used to yeah. know that you're right. They did. Um, yeah. No, I remember when it was MGM Studios. And I did it was too. So, yeah. Oh. I, I, for me, like, I will never call it Hollywood Disney. It's like, it's always MGM Studios. Always. Same. Anyway. Same. Yep. Wow. I can't believe they canceled my ride. <laughs> my Guys, guess what I figured out today? What? Tokyo Disneyland. Yeah. Tokyo Disney Sea. That's why it's called that. So moving on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fun story. Um, Nest cams. Nest is back in the headlines after a family's password, compromised password, was used to log in to their Nest um, and experience really fun uh, notifications of siren noises and an announcement that they needed to evacuate because North Korea was going was launching nukes at them and they had five <laughs> minutes to seek shelter. Um, so this was in the, the headlines first because um, there was initially like a concern that this was a nest issue. The Verge has a piece up like reaffirming that this is an issue of poor password hygiene. Um, <laughs> But Nest cannot be happy about this because the fact that their device was used means the people are looking at it and going, oh, boy, been a while since I heard anything good about that, ain't it? Well, that's why I was thinking. I'd love your opinion on this, Christina. Christopher Mims of the Wall Street Journal, friend of the show, he was like asking on Twitter, he's like, serious question, has Nest ever had any positive headline written about them in the last five years. And I went to Google Newsreader and I legit could not find anyone saying anything positive about Nest as far back as I scrolled. And I scrolled for a long time. So I mean Yeah, no yeah. It's weird, right? Because they came out with kind of the perfect product, the thermostat, and then um Google bought them and that transition was not great. And uh, there, there were, you know, Tony Fidel had a had a lot of problems um, uh, based on reporting kind of fitting in with the Google machine. And there were some other things going on. They were really late to come out with their own security camera and, and they didn't integrate well with the drop cam purchase, blah, 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 blah. But also then the smoke alarms were like terrible and caused people's, you know, houses to alert them all the time. And then they've had a number of security breaches. So, yeah, now that I'm saying this all out loud, yeah, it's been a while. But yet the messed <laughs> up thing is. And this is like to Nest's credit, also to the discredit of the rest of the industry, is that even though Honeywell and everybody else copies Nest like as much as they can get away with, the whole market of trying to get these like smart like thermostats is such an ish show. 
the nest is still the best, presuming your house supports that wiring, which yeah. not every house does. And I only know this because my friend, Brian Holt, B. Holt, um, <laughs> who's definitely not listening to this, but I wish he was, he just moved into a new house and it didn't have the the connections that would work with his nest, which made him very sad. And we were looking up and trying to figure out, well, okay, well, what Honeywell product would work and what's the most nest-like? And it became this ridiculous ordeal, you know, that was going to require him going to Home Depot and like hiring a dude to like come out to his house and whatnot. So he just ended up buying a dumb thermostat and is sad. Um, so if you can get Nest to work, even with all of its issues, it's still like the good one, you know, mm-hmm. because the, when it comes to the the smart home stuff, that space for whatever reason is still like not ideal. And I say this is someone who's not a homeowner and doesn't have it, has never had a nest. I've just used other people's. So I, I, I can't speak from personal experience, but that's what I hear is that it's oh, still kind of a disaster on. area. I can't get, we're about to buy a house and I can't use my nest here because it doesn't have a C wire. Um, right. You know, which is basically like a, a permanent wire in the house with enough um, voltage on it to charge it. So what we were dealing with last winter is we would like have to unplug our thermometer from the wall and plug it into USB to like charge for a while while the entire house is freezing and then we plop what? it back on. Eventually I'm just like, yeah, what? Oh, with this and put the $20 box back on. And, you know, eventually I'll have to pay like a, a electrician, like, you know, hundreds of dollars to run that C wire up the wall. But I mean, you're dead on. I mean, it's just, um, it, I mean, there's this, they've essentially stopped product development. I mean, one of the big things with Nest is, uh, when I kind of went all Nest for my house, they didn't have an outside uh, camera. So you had third-party people that were making like heat sinks to put on the Nest cam so it would be safe outside and wouldn't overheat. They eventually came out with something, but they also haven't uh, updated their pricing on the Nest cam. So every single one I have it's $50 a year for every single camera to be able to have it recorded enough to like show up in a police report, which is a ridiculous amount of money. Um, And you look at something like ring and it is much more price competitive. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just, uh, I was super psyched when I went all out nest for my home, but I'm just, I, I don't feel the magic today, if that makes sense. That's too bad. I I, I can't. I have it a is. few. My brain is going in a few different directions here, just because I am not a homeowner and I'm living in a place where uh, home owning is quite prohibitive. What? How much? How how common do you think it is that people own homes where they can do this like rewiring that um, could be required for making like the thermostat work and everything? I mean, I mean I, yeah, go ahead, Christine. Go on, go on, yeah, No, mind. I'm just guessing, so go ahead. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think I think it's more. I think more of them work than don't, especially if you're getting newer things wired. Like, I, all new homes built are going to basically be fine. The yeah. problem is usually like with older homes, and this is one of those areas where certain configurations you can get an S to work. But this is honestly where Honeywell has like, um, kind of a, a an innate kind of ownership of the market because what happens is that builders will default to just the cheap stuff and they'll maybe use certain Honeywell connectors and whatnot. And so it'll be a lot easier to just swap out a Honeywell smart model if, if that's an option. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just varies. I mean, I think at this point, most new homes aren't an issue. Um, but yeah, it, it can be problematic, especially if you have an older home or if you live, you know, in an area where um, the the wiring hasn't been done in a while or whatever. Okay. Well, returning to the issue of the uh, nuclear threat, this is interesting to me, I guess less so as a password management issue because hope, I mean, listeners of this show understand how important it is to use different passwords and have two factor set up or use a password manager and use authenticator, all those kinds of things. Um, I think, unfortunately, that knowledge is not necessarily as widespread as we would like it to be. And compounded with that, I think with this specific sort of hoax that was played on these people, we have almost a digital literacy issue, not necessarily digital literacy, because it's not asking them to, like, assess a a fake news article or something like that. But it, it, it is 
a hoax played through technology that kind of asks people that kind of puts the entire world in question for a person in a with a very short amount of time for them to assess whether that thing is real or not um i would put this kind of on the same stage as deep fakes and things like that that could really fool people into believing in something that isn't real yeah i think that's fair um you know at the same time i think nest has a media image problem i mean, i think the reason this story caught on is cuz it's so freaking believable i mean their product line is all but deprecated uh it's not it's certainly not updated um and you know i literally had not thought about the nest in my home until the story came out it just seemed completely believable that they just haven't been patching security right mm-hmm. like with tony fidel leaving all of that um, you know, it, it, I because I'm like hyper paranoid about this stuff. You know, I disabled the mic on my camera. I even put tape over my Nest cams. Um, you know, most of them are pointed outside my house anyway, but it's on by default. And you know, I think that's it's a scary model for a lot of different reasons, not least of which because you have to go in and set up TFA separately. And most people just don't use good password hygiene. So, um, yeah, I, I all respect to the verge is one of my favorite you know, media outlets, but I feel like in debunking it, they kind of overlooked the fact that, this hasn't been a product that's been really updated and that the mm, defaults yeah. set on it aren't great. And the fact that people shouldn't have to worry about having their thermostat hacked. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I mean, is you that know, not a Nest specific problem or is that just a smart thermostat problem? No, it's, it's not a Nest specific problem. problem. It's yeah. an IoT problem in general. But I would say that Nest and Google specifically, probably because of how connected they are and because of how these things are tied into your accounts. Google more than any of the other companies knows when things are weaker or whatnot and could require or at least set more sensible defaults. And they have more of an opportunity to like set those things to be stronger, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? Like you, you could you could put something in, in somebody's, you know, Gmail or, or other alerts and be like, hey, this is not secure. We see you're using a default password. You have to update this, which they have more of the infrastructure to do than some of the other IoT companies, which Again, like you, you pointed out, this is not a, a, a Nest issue, but I do feel like Nest can fix it much better than some of the other companies. Hmm. I also think our industry, you know, when you're making passwords, we have so much growth to do as far as standardizing it and just making it easier for people to practice good password hygiene. I mean, you know, I know both of you probably use password managers. How many times... Have you gone into, like, I use one password and you create like a 64 digit password. And then it's like, oh, this site I'm using today just won't take special characters. And then, oh, this site today, it just won't take the parentheses. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, this site today, it just won't take, you've got to have at least two of the letters capitalized. And just mathematically, it didn't happen. So even I, as a hyper educated person on this, like, I'm spending a long time trying to come up with a unique, complex password. And I feel like our industry, especially like the InfoSec field, could do such a better job in just standardizing what the password protocol is. Like it should be 64 digits everywhere. It should be built into something like Safari everywhere, right? Like it should be so much easier than it is. And it's just not. Every time I run into a website that doesn't like that won't accept a special character from my generated password, which like they're not even that it's like an asterisk or an exclamation point or something. I, why, why do websites, why do some websites still not allow those characters and passwords that boggles the mind? Oh no, totally. Well, and then you'll even have things where, you know, they have like arbitrary rules and there've been lots of things written up um, about how some of the the rules that people set up for, for passwords are actually bad security now, but, people mm-hmm. like require them and, and, and put certain limits on things. Yeah. You're, you're, you're dead on. It's yeah. Yeah. If a human is thinking of the rule, a human can probably break the rule. Anyway. Hey, this episode of rocket is brought to you by one month.com. 50% of the best paying jobs now call for the ability to code. 
OneMonth.com is a great way to learn how to code in just one month. Their courses have helped over 60,000 students go from knowing zero about coding, which isn't a very big number, to building programs in languages like Python, Ruby, and JavaScript. OneMonth.com graduates have gone on to get jobs at prestigious startups like Airbnb, Instagram, and Spotify. OneMonth.com's courses are easy to follow with step-by-step video tutorials. They're instructor-led with weekly assignments reviewed by your instructor. And they are results-driven with each student graduating the course with a portfolio of projects to show prospective employers. Plus, you'll get a certificate of completion. Yay! You could frame it. You could frame it and put it on your wall. If you're interested in taking your career to the next level and your home decor to be more certificateful, listen up. For a limited time, head to onemonth.com slash rocket to get 10% off any coding course. That is one month, O-N-E-M-O-N-T-H dot com slash rocket, the name of the show, to get 10% off any coding course. Ah! Thank you, OneMonth.com, for your support of Rocket and all of Relay FM. And by the way, that's not just if you're a, you know, you're trying to get a job. Something I've been so upset with in Massachusetts is not all of our, our high schools have computer science curriculum. No. Right? So, I mean, you know, it's like... There is, I, I like Christina, even though you don't code for a living, you know how to code. You've done that. I do. And it, it benefits your career, right? I mean, I have the job that I have right now in large part because I know how to write and because I, I know the fundamentals of, of code. And, right. and I, 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 I do a lot more of it now than I, than I used to. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's incredibly useful and it's, it all started for, you know, me when I was younger and, and I continue to play around with things. I do more, more web stuff, um, obviously, but yeah, I mean, it's great. And I, I think it's just good for anybody. It's good whether you want a job or you want to expand your mind or you want to build your own projects or you want a side thing like coding is, it's, it's a different type of literacy and it's awesome and it's important. So, um, the more ways people can, can learn and, and get started, the better. Yeah. I, mean, I look at your entire career as the perfect example of that, Christina. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, a very wise man once said, uh, all knowledge is power. And that wise man was Shao Kahn from Mortal Kombat 1. So <laughs> I was hoping it was going to be Herodotus, my boyfriend. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, by the way, he's hotter. I grew to find him somewhat hot. I just want to say that. So I'm so glad to hear you say so. That means a lot to me. <laughs> I have been shamed for too long for my sexuality. Um, <laughs> hey, speaking of shame, let's talk about the Fire Festival documentaries again. Christina, I think last week my assessment was or like I thought the Hulu one provided better context, uh, really? but they were both entertaining. How do you both feel about these documentaries? I mean, I love them both. I think they're both amazing. I, I I think it's weird. A lot of like the professional, and I'm saying that in quotation mark, like critics are like, oh, the Netflix one is way better than the Hulu one. And I'm like, mm, I think they're both great. I think the Netflix one, you get a lot of the sense of just how poorly everything was handled on the ground as it was happening and just how ridiculous it is and what a piece of whatever jaw rule is. Um, and, and you also feel for like the people who worked on the unrelated product, you know, who were, were kind of blindsided and really, you know, victims in this, as well as the people, you know, like, like the woman whose restaurant, you know, had to feed all of the, um, uh, millennials, um, who, uh, who were partying while the campsite was being set up. Um, but I agree with you. I felt like you got feed the millennials is a great podcast title. (laughs) Oh my God, it really is. Oh my God, that is a great podcast. Um, if someone if someone uses that, please let us know because Rocket should be credited in like your show notes or something. But anyway, yeah. um, but I felt like the Hulu one, you were right, I think did provide maybe a better context and I think had like really good commentary on like its place in society. Uh, a lot of people seem to be offended by like its critique of millennials. And I'm like, everybody who was involved in the 
documentary was a millennial. Like I'm one of those people. I'm like, I get mad when people who are not in my generation criticize my generation. But I feel like as members of my generation, we can call out like the parts of us that are ridiculous. And granted, not all of those are unique. Like they could have applied to any generation at any point in time. But but it happened. There is like, but it happened. I, I exactly. totally agree with you. Like the, I, I think the concept of FOMO is one that I personally have experienced and can relate to. The concept of following an Instagram influencer and being interested in the products she's hawking is something I can relate to. Like even as a person again who knows how that money, how how that person is making money, and like totally. what they might be being being paid behind the scenes, I'm like, wow, this is attractive. Yeah. So like it's I, like yes, it's, it's so like I, I know no this pride, is how this works. Know, come on, totally. Let's admit it. I have a different opinion. <gasps> Tell I me. thought the Netflix one was Suckville 9 to 5. Whoa! I thought it was so... I don't know. It's like I saw the Hulu one. It's magic. I watched it twice. I I freaking loved it. And then like my problem with the Netflix one is it's all... I don't know if we're going to have to beep this, but it's all like the dudes from Jerry. Like they are a lot of the commentators on it. And it's like, you know, I realized that like... You know, like video editing, like millennial, you know, cute guys, like that's a valid perspective, but it was just like, it was so much of it was about the party and the hustle and the sizzle leading up to it that it didn't like, like really examine any of the stuff underneath it. And like you said, Christian, to me, the most interesting part of the Hulu one was examining influencer culture, examining like, why the guy like all the history with magnesis and all this other stuff that makes him clearly like a fraudster and there totally. was so much more context with that like, yeah. i personally felt like there was less light to be found with just like let's show the horror of all these people that showed up on an island and they're getting drunk and passing out the airport where they're trying to get out i just i didn't feel like that was it wasn't intellectual, for lack of a better word. It was just spectacle. Yeah. Although I would say, I actually thought, um, and and there's a story that that he you know tells that's been repeated in in most of the reviews about something he was willing to do to to get water out of customs. I'm not going to repeat because whatever. <laughs> but there was this there was a very interesting character um, in the the um, Netflix documentary, and actually he was one of the producers. Shocker! So this guy Andy King, I think is his name. Anyway, he was like one of Billy's investors who'd been working with him for five or six years, and this is an older guy, like a, in his 40s, maybe his 50s, whatever. Um, you know, good looking, like smart, who bought into this fraudster hook, line and sinker. And what was fascinating to me was that even though he's talking about all the the clear lies and how badly this thing turned out, at one point early in the documentary, he's like, oh, I really hope Billy doesn't go to jail for this. And I'm like screaming. I'm like, <laughs> this guy put you through all these terrible things, has ruined your reputation probably to to a large degree. And you're like still almost looking at him like, oh, this poor kid just got in over his head. It's like, no, this kid is a freaking sociopath and a liar and a fraudster and a scam artist and deserves to be in jail for many reasons. And like, no, there's nothing redeeming about him. Screw this kid. Sorry, but no. Here's where I think that they work so well in, in tandem and why it's important to watch both is like, that story for that you that the Hulu documentary gives you the context to understand why he feels that way because this like people are being manipulated by this guy right and left and like understand is maybe a a heart uh, a a strong way to put that but it really shows you sort of the pathology of Billy yeah, I would agree with that. so you're less like how in the world does he feel this way and like oh god this guy is such a Jerk. And, you know, it, it, I have a little more, I think, empathy, I think, because of the Hulu documentary. No, I would agree with that. I think I was just, I, I was, and I had empathy for the guy, to be clear. Yeah, I was yeah, more no, totally, angry. Totally. I had Not total empathy for the guy. And I thought he was. No, no, no. But I just want to say, like, I actually thought he was one of the best spoken, like, talking heads of the Netflix documentary. Um, but it was just like, again, I think you, you're right. You do watching the Hulu one, you understand the pathology of how people were hoodwinked. But even then, even knowing that you still see this because you know how this ends, you want to be like, no, do not give this guy an out. Yeah. You want to like reach out and shake them and be like, don't pity him. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> I was also going to say like, um, uh, who, who can forget mm, David in the, in the Netflix mm, one, David. which uh, my, my, 
my 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 friend uh, Sophie um, sent a viral tweet about it's like we're not talking about how like there's a guy named David uh, who is white. I should preface. Yeah, and uh, uh, it, the the tweet went viral, and um, he did respond in like a funny way, and she was like, "Okay, I gotta ask, how do you pronounce it?" Uh, how do you pronounce your name? Um, but yeah, I mean, there were, it was, it was, it was an interesting, I don't, I like them both. I think that, I think that you get the most context if you watch them both. I'm a fan of both, but Brie, what's, what's your thought? Um, even though you think that the Netflix one is Sucksville. Okay. I just, I, this is the part I can't get past. Like, I just assume for everything about him, I assume that Billy, uh, you know, uh, the Billy is heterosexual. I, yeah. I do. And, you know, the guy that we're talking about, uh, you know, that had to enjoy, that Billy suggested he go enjoy a popsicle uh, to get water for the festival. Like, that's such a, and he's he's a gay guy. It's just right. like such a, like, Terrible. if someone, like, that wouldn't bother me personally. But if someone, it's just like queer phobic language that you're just, or, mm-hmm. or certainly degrading. I, it's just like another reason this guy is trash, right? Oh, I agree. And, no, yeah. totally. And we have he's saying talk, take one yeah. for the team. Like, take one for the team. But, okay. Anyway, how about Ja Rule? Like, <gasps> I did not oh, the feel worst. strongly about him until, this is why I feel like the Netflix one did well. Because yeah. it showed how, how terrible he is. How completely complicit this guy is. They just let him bury himself. Yes. And it's like, you know, it, the, the heartbreaking part of the Netflix one is at the end, you see this woman that uh, she's Bahamian and she's talking about how she had to give up $50,000 of her emergency fund uh, because she lives with the people there every day and she couldn't look them in the eye and know that they've been ripped off. And even right now, people are bothering her, bothering Ja Rule on Twitter to like, dude, get out your freaking checkbook, like write this woman a check and pony up, dude. Like this yeah, is responsible. Yeah. And we're getting nonsense. We're getting. Uh, of course, we're he's getting... like, it's not my fault. I was hoodwinked too. It's like, dude. Okay, first of, of all, you shut up. It, it, you you are equally culpable. Also, yeah. I mean, if but but here's real talk. I don't know if Ja Rule has fifty thousand dollars to give her. <laughs> uh, well, no, I, I'm not even like being like flippant. Like he went to jail for tax evasion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. So like it's not like he he has a history of not being super good with stuff. Also, who how many people really want to get Jaw Rule at their birthday party? No one cares. He hasn't had a hit in, in sixteen years. So like really, it's like it, like him and a, it's been a long time since he did stuff with Ashante. Even longer since he did stuff with with J Lo. Like nobody cares. Like I I you know he's like an aging. You know he's kind of like he reminds me of uh um uh. I don't know, like there's there's like this certain like sector of, of like hip hop artists, but there it's other musicians too who like want to rest on their laurels and be like, oh yeah, I'm, and and still like pretend like uh you know like they've got status and it's like no dude like no one cares. I mean, mm-hmm. what's actually really funny is there's a scene in the Netflix one where he's partying with the with the models and he's like trying to tell um Iman and um David Bowie's daughter I can't think of her her name right now uh, uh Chanel he's trying to tell her to get in the water and do stuff. And she's like looking at him like, I'm not doing Ugh. anything. She's like rolling her eyes at him, but he's like drunk and like wanting to get the models to do some stuff. And they're like, Oh, you mean it's part of the shoot? He's very clearly thinking he's partying with them. Like he's partying with them. And they're yeah. just like, no, we're getting paid to be here. <laughs> and then he's like, he's like yelling at her, like get in the water. And she like literally has this, she like rolls her eyes and like looks at him like side eyes. And she's like, I'm not freaking doing anything. And no, you're not because you know, like you're you're like Iman and 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 David Bowie's daughter. You're not doing anything like that that, that this man tells you to. You know what I mean? Yeah, the like, way he talked to her was not great. No, also what was messed up to me, uh, why I I think he just such a ugh terrible person. So when they are basically right after it's a disaster, they are um, the people who work on the fire app are all on this call, these product people and, 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 and and they're talking about how bad things are. And, and he's saying, we got all these smart people in the room. I don't want to hear excuses. I want to hear this and that. He's yelling at people who are days away from losing their job without any sort of, you know, health insurance or benefits or, or anything. Um, and he's like yelling at them. And, and these are people who had nothing to do with this fraud, with this fraud. And And they said, well, you know, we did, we did, you know, commit fraud or whatever. And he's like, 
no, 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 it's not fraud. It's not fraud. <laughs> you might call it false you know, advertising. Yeah, false <laughs> advertising. It's like, oh my God, you know? I mean, and this is a guy, and people are like, well, why hasn't he been charged for anything? And a couple things. One, people should recognize the reason Billy McFarland is in jail has nothing to do with Fire Festival per se, but because he forged documents with the SEC and lied about things and then did things on parole, which, yep. oh, not on parole, but while he was out on bail, they got him in trouble. But it was his SEC stuff and his fraudulent document things that, why he's in jail, it had nothing to do with, you know, the disaster of the festival. That said, if there in all the civil complaints, Ja Rule is named. Again, he will never pay a dime because he doesn't have it to pay. Um, and, and I'm sure that if, if he were, you know, forced to, he would just file bankruptcy or whatever. You know, nobody's ever getting money from him for this. Um, but if there were to be a criminal complaint, and I don't know if there's necessarily any proof that there could be just related to the festival, I'm sure that he would be named because there's too much proof that we've seen in both of these documentaries that regardless of what his on-paper involvement was or was not, he was there every step of the way, and he was clearly helping, you know, predicate and mislead when past the point of of when people knew it wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is my message on this. Like, there's a statement at the end of the the Netflix documentary where, where it talks about how Billy McFarlane will be back, and even freaking today, we didn't even there was we turned down so many topics for the show today, but even today. There is a new CBS uh, explosive clip from <gasps> Elizabeth Holmes, uh, like her deposition in her criminal case against her. That is just so, it is shocking. And they're talking about how Elizabeth Holmes is already assuming she's going to get off of these charges and she's already going out and raising money to start a new company. And she's going to do it. And Billy McFarlane is going to do it. Of course it. he is. I mean, okay. I mean, uh, I don't want to get sued, and I'm sure this guy's litigious, but this is factual. Uh, Michael Milken went to jail for insider trading and for being responsible for one of the biggest financial crimes in U.S. history and being largely responsible for the 1987 Wall Street crash that cost, I don't know, maybe half a trillion in value. Like, I'm not even joking. So he went to jail for that. He was he saw the downfall of a couple of different investment banks led to, you know, massive kind of changes from things. He serves a little bit of time in jail. He put money in other places. He came back. He now has this thing called the Milken Institute that he dedicates all this money to to cancer research and this and that. And high powered, well-respected business people go and speak at the Milken Institute Go to his conferences, talk about these things. The guy, seriously, one of the worst financial criminals in history, and people continue to like suck up to him. So yeah, I don't I don't doubt it. Elizabeth Holmes will be back, Billy McFarlane will be back because the world is terrible. Well, here's the difference between Elizabeth Holmes and Michael Milken. He looks like a resurrected corpse. He looks like <laughs> somebody dug him out of the ground and like gave him a little electrotherapy. And sent him on his way. She has a nice bag. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. I'm just saying, I really, I, I know it's not going to happen. But if you are a venture capitalist out there and you are associated with Elizabeth Holmes in any way, shape, or form, I'm talking just having a lunch with her. Like, I'm going to be judging you so hard. And I'm not going to want to be like around you professionally because, I mean, we read Bad Blood. The stuff in that book is shocking. And I really think, you know, I, I do believe that many people can find redemption. But I think for an Elizabeth Holmes or a Billy McFarlane, I don't know if it's possible. Like, not without a lot of therapy, not without like a great period of time, like dedicated to helping the public, like not without some real, not just jail time, but real, real thought into answering for what they've done. Like they don't deserve redemption. Like are, are both of you, do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> okay. No good. argument from me. Great. <laughs> All right. Well, do we want to talk about what we're doing this week? Hell yeah. yes. Christina, catch us up on your life. Okay, so I'm going to sleep first. Ooh. <laughs> no, um, so I'm flying back uh, to the United States uh, on a midnight flight from Tel Aviv 
time on a Thursday night. So I get back a Friday morning. Um, I will have to be on two flights. Um, and then I will spend the weekend doing laundry and spending time with my husband. And then on Monday at 6 p.m., I'm flying to Milan. Um, and uh, I am going to be speaking at the Ignite Tour in Milan next week. And uh, yeah, so I will not be on Rocket next week. But if you are in Milan as a listener um, and you happen to be either at the tour or see me or be around, then as always, Rocket rules apply. So yay. Love it. Uh, Brianna, what about you? So we are making some really big decisions in my campaign this week about who we're going to hire for our senior campaign manager and our senior uh, deputy finance person. We've got uh, temporary people on staff, uh, but we're we're basically deciding who we're going to hire to move to Dedham with me and spend every second of every day working to get me elected. So really big decisions uh, this week. Um, I would say uh, other than that, like we didn't have time to talk about today because it was just such a big show, but Resident Evil 2 oh, yeah. comes out on yes. Friday. And I'm, I'm just so telling, excited. I'm telling both of you, I am going to, I, Resident Evil 2 is probably one of my favorite games of all time. I beat Hunk Scenario. Uh, you know, I am, I am so beyond psyched for this. I do want to ask both of you super quickly. How do you feel about nuclear? Are you, are you into that? Do you, cause I'm not sold. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know yet. I don't know. I'm not totally sold, but I don't know. Yeah. What is All the that? reviews have been so good. Nuclear. So the nuclear. Oh. This, the Claire. older version of Claire. Yeah, Claire Redfield. Claire. Like the older version of her. Like she looked like she looked like a tough woman. And now yeah. like she kind of looks like a cast of the CW. So <laughs> I'm not Which, really, I mean, I'm not opposed yeah. to. Whatever. I, I mean, could be sold on it. It's going to depend on the voice acting and the writing. So... Um, but it's getting really good reviews. So you know, I the reviews so have been psyched. fantastic. Yep. I can't wait. I can't either. <sighs> I'm so happy for Woo. you. Yep. Well, I, I'm recovering from PodCon this week, which I'm going to talk about because it was amazing. Y'all, I met I met some people who listened to Rocket. I saw at least one Make It Weird shirt. Um, yes. which was great because I was uh, I was doing a panel um, on podcast turnoffs and this person I could see them at the like back of uh, the um, the ballroom that we were in and they stood up and I, I told them I owed them a drink and then I never <laughs> what, what call it, fulfilled my end of the deal because oh. I didn't find them again but I did uh, at the uh, pizza party on Saturday. I did end up giving one of my drink tickets to a Rocket fan because they found me. Um, Yay! <laughs> so that's how I fulfilled my end of the bargain. But seriously, I had such a freaking good time. Everyone was so nice. I saw Relay Boss Mike Hurley there, Big Boss, as we all call him here at Relay FM, because <laughs> um, he's just so tall. He's like eight feet tall, at least ten feet tall. It's incredible how tall he is and how he's a podcaster. You can't really tell that he's so tall. Uh, when you only hear his voice, um, that's why we call him the Big Boss. And enough about Are that we tangent. Him big Boss, yeah, like we call Metal him. Gear we we from call now him on? all the time. Okay. We've called him that the whole time. Okay, <laughs> I'm I'm down with this. Gosh, you're getting old. Just don't remember the things that are our jokes that we make all the time <laughs> that have not been told for the first time on this show. Um, so anyway, thank you to all the Rocket fans uh, who came up and talked to me and, of course, all the Polygon Show fans. And I guess if you're listening to this show, you're probably a Rocket fan, if not a both. <laughs> like, the, the Vendai, there are no Polygon fans, only Polygon fans listening to me right now. But there are only Polygon and Rocket fans and pure Rocket fans. And y'all are great. Y'all are the best of all. So that's what I did. So now I'm just recovering and then going skiing. <laughs> I love it. All right, Bree, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brianna Wu. You can find me on Facebook at uh, Developer Brianna Wu. And uh, you know, one story we didn't touch on this week because we did not have time was uh, basically Russia is still conducting active measures against the United States with active war- with um, information warfare. Uh, Facebook took down some of their pages, but this is an ongoing effort. Uh, you know, having politicians that know how to address these policies is incredibly important. So I'm going to say this every week from now on. I hope if you believe in better tech policy that you'll consider supporting my campaign for Congress at supportbrianna.com. 
Christina, where can we find you? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and film underscore girl on the Instagrams. And you can see my photos of beautiful Tel Aviv. Some of them that like look legit, like they're stock photos. They're so good. Um, and you can uh, see the videos that I do at work at uh, youtube.com slash Microsoft developer. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar, where I have logged back in after a long absence. And you can find my videos about video games at YouTube.com slash Polygon. And I know for a fact that uh, Jenna Steber of Polygon is making a video about the new Resident Evil game. Uh, (gasps) So you can watch that probably this Friday when it goes up. All right, everyone. If you liked Rocket, if you like it, you continue to like it. Please review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever reviews are made. And make sure you tell your friends about it so they, too, can stay up to date on all of the the latest and greatest tech news every week. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.